Yeah, California's in trouble, but here comes Illinois. Even by the standards of this deficit-ridden state, Illinois' controller, Daniel W. Hines, faces an ugly balance sheet. Precisely how ugly uh, becomes clear when he beckons you into his office to examine his daily briefing memo. So let's go in there. Right Here he goes. He picks up the papers on his desk and points to a figure in red. $5.01 billion. Let's round it off. It's a $5 billion problem. He says, this is what the state owes right now to schools, rehabilitation centers, child care of the state university and it's getting worse every single day every single moment actually uh, this is what he says in his poor little downtown office I, I pity the man mr hines shakes his head this is not some esoteric budget issue we are not paying bills for absolutely essential services this is obscene so this is the kind of pornography we allow to happen day by day it's all the stuff on the web and all the billboards and the adult stores that we have to worry about while the state creates an obscene system of non-payment for the last few years California stood more or less unchallenged as a symbol of the fiscal collapse of states during the, re- the recession. We just did the story on the Terminator. Well, now, hey, Illinois has shouldered to the fore as its dysfunctional political class refuses to pay the state's bills and refuses to take the painful steps, cuts and tax increases. So on one side, generally the Democrats, I don't want to make this too stereotypical, they don't want to cut standard services, particularly, you know, safety net services. And I can understand this, and infrastructure services, and education, and prisons, etc. On the other hand, the Republicans, again, generally the Republicans, won't raise taxes. We are, by the way, a totally undertaxed society. And, of course, we give tax breaks to the very bozos who don't need it. So they won't cut services or raise taxes to close a deficit of at least $12 billion, equal to nearly half the state's budget, which is what? Six days of the conflict in Afghanistan plus the rest of the DOD's budget. There is a way to get this money. Then there is the spectacularly mismanaged pension system, which is at least 50% underfunded and analysts warn could push Illinois into insolvency if the economy fails to pick up, which it is going to fail to do. So the pension system, people have worked long and hard, or at least long, are going to be looking at what? Half their pension or no pension at all? Oh, my golly, where's Woody Guthrie when we need him? States cannot go bankrupt technically, just technically. But signs of fiscal crack-up are easy to see. Legislatures left the Capitol in the month of July, or actually in the month of June, without deciding how to pay 26% of the state budget. Let's go home! This is too much of a problem. Let's go home, have a couple of brewskis, and, and lie to our constituents. The governor proposes to borrow $3.5 billion to cover a year's worth of pension payments, a step that would cost about a billion in interest. Wait a minute. That's almost 33% interest. Where does the word usury come to mind here? And who's going to loan it to him? The mob? And every major rating agency has downgraded the state. Illinois now pays millions of dollars more to insure its debt than any other state in the nation. Yeah, when I say the mob, they're probably the, they're the lenders of last resort and you can see their enforcers waiting outside the governor's door ready to break his legs if they don't get their vig quote their pension is the most 
underfunded in the nation, said Karen S. Kropp, a senior director at Fitch Ratings. They have not made significant cuts or raised revenues. There's no state out there like this. They can't grow this. They can't grow their way out of this. No, and they can't hide. As the recession has swept across states and cities, it has laid bare economic weaknesses and shoddy fiscal practices. Only an infusion of federal stimulus money allowed many states to avert deep layoffs last year. And, of course, most of that stimulus is gone. Yes, those federal dollars are nearly spent. Last month, local governments nationwide shed more than, get ready, 20,000 jobs just last month. And state jobs are jobs that you expect to last a lifetime. They are cradle-to-grave cradle to jobs. You don't go in and become a state employee with the thought of, well, I'll spend a couple of years here, get, a, get my team together and go over and work for IBM. No, you're there. That's part. And a lot of them are very, very dedicated people. So we reward their dedication by firing them. Should the largest struggling states like California, New York, Illinois lay off tens of thousands more in coming months or default on payments, the reverberations could badly damage the weakened economy and push housing prices down still further. So that's the deal. They won't cut services. Many services really can't be cut without without thoroughly downgrading the the, the style of life of people who are poor and disadvantaged. It also affects the lower middle class. It affects us all. They won't raise taxes because the NOP sitting out there generally in the rural areas can frustrate the process. So we're looking at bankruptcy, default, loss of jobs. It's a continuum that's leading to disaster. Yeah. Okay. Get ready for the permaculture generation. I'm on the phone with David Bloom, energy expert. He's the uh, author of Alcohol Can Be a Gas. We've talked with him already. This is our second interview. We're talking about ethanol as a substitute for or as a co-fuel with oil. David, good to have you back on, on the Skype with me. I'm always glad to be here. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, ethanol, like anything else, has to be produced. And when you produce anything, it, it, it there is energy used. It has some sort of a, what you might call, carbon footprint. How efficient is it? And what sort of pollution is involved with producing ethanol? And what's the best way to do it? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at that. First of all, you need to know how ethanol, ethanol is made. And it's made by plants. Mm-hmm. So plants take in carbon dioxide from the air, yeah. water from the sky, and sunlight. So those three things are uh, combined in photosynthesis, and we call them carbohydrates. Carbo for carbon dioxide, hydrate for water. So we're actually pulling CO2 out of the air when we go ahead and make alcohol from starches and sugars. Uh, When we go ahead and burn the alcohol in the car, what comes out the tailpipe is what went in, carbon dioxide and water, but what drives the car down the road is the solar energy. The difference between alcohol and, say, fossil fuels like gasoline is that the CO2 coming out of the tailpipe is used by next year's alcohol crop to make next year's fuel. So we are recycling the CO2 that we make each year with the car to come back to be next year's fuel. Oil doesn't have that recycling quality because the plants that made oil are have been dead for millions of years, and plants don't... Um, 
those plants are you know not currently producing. So we're burning the old plants and adding CO2 to the air with oil, but with alcohol, we're constantly recycling. Uh, well, and well, just plants, a, go ahead, go ahead, please, go ahead. Well, plants actually take much more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere than what ends up in the alcohol. The stalks, the roots, and uh, actually the plants exude sugar into the soil to feed all that soil microlife. So in some studies, we see up to 13 times the CO2 being taken out of the air than what is given off in the manufacture and burning of the alcohol. So if you want to reverse global warming, increase photosynthesis. Well, let me ask you something. What about, I've heard, and this indeed may just be apocryphal, that it it takes more energy to create uh, ethanol than it gives back as a fuel. What about that? Is that just not true? That's a... Well, that's an interesting study that was done by David Pimentel back in 1980 and then repeated over and over since. It turned out that David Pimentel was in the employ of Mobile Oil at oh, the no. time. Oh, no. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yes. And, uh, and in fact, Mobile complained loudly when people exposed that fact to the public. And David Pimentel, in an interview with myself, reversed that completely and said, of course, if you make uh, alcohol and you use organic methods to grow our crops to do it, you'd, of course, you know, have a, a big energy return. So, um, you know, basically what we've been told over time is kind of a selective quote of nonsense. And the real facts are, for instance, in Brazil, they get nine times the energy out for every unit of energy in. But the unit of energy in is not oil. It's the sugar cane fiber left over after they squeeze the juice out to make the alcohol. They burn the fiber, which is renewable, and they're able to make all the steam and electricity they need to run the plant and put electricity back in the grid. So with alcohol, we don't really need to use any fossil fuels to make it at all. Are you telling me then, you know, like they say, hey, these infomercials, are you telling me that we can successfully replace a significant amount of oil with alcohol as a general fuel? Well, there's a couple of little countries out there like India and Brazil, you know, little postage-sized places. And and Brazil now imports no oil whatsoever to run their vehicles. Really? 95% of the cars run on alcohol right now in Brazil. Well, let me ask you something then. This this is very interesting. What are you doing to make this possible besides promoting it with with interviews like this and various uh, affairs? are, Are you actually producing equipment that can make this possible? Well, we do two things. One, we have a book, Alcohol P- Can Be a Gas, which teaches people how to build their own equipment if oh. they're the handy sort. Right. So, you know, the idea is that making alcohol is, well, mankind's second oldest profession. It's not exactly all that complicated. But for the people who are more uh, interested in just getting down to business and making alcohol and all the great byproducts that come from doing that, we are now starting to uh, manufacture equipment that will allow small business people, entrepreneurs, uh, municipalities that control the dump, or even turn sewage into cattails and make alcohol from that. So the, pl- the equipment we're doing is very small. It's not like the 100 million gallon per year plants yeah. that yeah. industry has in the Midwest, which have environmental problems. These are like 120,000 gallon per year plants that could fuel you and 100 of your best friends. Uh, you know, uh, because most people use about 500 to 1,000 gallons a year 
and you can use it to replace your fuel oil. You can use it to uh, generate electricity. So you can really unplug yourself from the fossil fuel companies uh, if you just go ahead and um, make alcohol, sell it to your friends and neighbors in the community. Well, this is very exciting. And we'll be back again with, with another interview. Others uh, want to find out, uh, you know, where the outreach is with, with, with ethanol, who's using it, and how you can uh, develop, you know, local ways to make this happen. Thank you very much, David Bloom. Thank you.